The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. This is Era from the Katana cast, and you're listening to I Rebel, a Star Wars podcast. Is he speaking? Do you understand him? In a way, Grogu and I can feel each other's thoughts. Grogu? Yes. That's his name. Forgery of Imperial documents. Possession of stolen property. Aggravated assault. State your name for the record. Jin Asa. We have a mission for you. I want to help. Good. The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign across the galaxy. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. Every day they grow stronger. There isn't much time. I rebel. Welcome back, everyone, to I Rebel. I am your host, Jedi Geek Girl. We are so excited to be diving into this episode, one that I share that you are looking forward to as much as we are. Joining me today for this episode is a very special guest from the wonderful, amazing, must-listen podcast, the Katana Cast, Eva. Hello. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, it's Sunday, and it's snowing where I'm at in uh, southeast Pennsylvania, just hanging out before the Super Bowl. I hear you. I am up here in Minnesota, and it is not snowing. I'm very lucky where I'm at. Where I'm at, we usually don't get hit with a lot of snowstorm, but I tell you what, it is cold as heck here. Like, it's below zero, so. Uh, Minnesota, yeah, I, I can't imagine how what the weather would be like right now i mean on the same token it's a trade-off like i don't have to deal with like hurricane season or tornado season or earthquake so it's, it's a trade-off i guess yes yeah, same over here the closest thing we got and actually it was like like a one in a million kind of deal was um maybe it was around about five or six years ago or maybe six or seven we had there was on the East Coast, I think, I guess closer to Florida or wherever, there was like a small, I don't even know if it was an earthquake, but up in the Northeast, we had like an aftershock and that went, you know, for like 30 seconds. I remember like everyone was just like <laughs> freaking, like freaking out. So that was interesting. But, uh, yeah, we don't get tornadoes or, or anything like that over here. Just snow and rain and nor'easters. As I mentioned before, you host the Katana cast, and I am a regular listener to it, so I think I know what this answer is. But at the time of this recording, does anything Star Wars related have your attention? And if it does, what is it? Yeah, so for me... um well, first off, thank you for listening to the show. You know, we've interacted before on Twitter, and that's been a whole lot of fun. And, 
you know, I enjoy your your show as well. So thank you for having me on. Uh, but for me personally, I think what I'm looking forward to most is, well, now it's here. It's the High Republic. But for entertainment, or like, you know, like show or, or movies that are, you know, have just come on the, our radar, I'm very much looking forward to the Acolyte that got announced and like Star Wars anime. The name is out of my mind. I can't think of the name for it. But uh, I'm just excited to get into new timelines, new territory, new, you know, like new, just new is the easiest way to put it. For example, with the Star Wars anime, like new art, new storylines and, and things like that. I'm very excited. It's a huge world, so it's exciting to explore newer aspects of that world. I am with you 100%. That is why I am so obsessed with the High Republic. Have you finished Into the Dark yet? No, no. My show fans and, and yours as well are probably going to be a little disappointed even when I say this, but I actually have not... I've only read snippets of some of the High Republic books that have been out. I nowhere near finishing anything or, you know, I'm just scratching the surface. I haven't looked in the comics yet or, or anything else. So I still have much to read and explore. I was just wondering, because I remember that you always brought it up, like, I think it was you who brought it up that would try to talk about it because you read like the first eight chapters, but your co-host never read them and they didn't get to it. I don't know if they have read it since then, but they were like waiting for the book or they never got around to it. And I always remember like there was like two or three episodes where you're like, did you read it yet? Can we talk about it yet? And they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't. So I'm only eight chapters in. I'm sure they're probably now farther along than I am. For me, I just got done with Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. I plowed through it. It was so good. I am loving everything from the High Republic so far. It has been so great for me. Into the Dark felt like a movie. I was so obsessed with it. I finished it in a 12-hour window. Like, I read it. No, I received it. I read it. I went to work. I read it during my break. Came home, read it, finished it. So, yeah, it feels so good to be obsessed about something new in Star Wars in a way that I honestly have not felt about new regular Star Wars content in years. Yeah, I agree with you in terms of the readability of Claudia Gray's Into the Dark. It's really good. And it moves by quickly, too, like you said. I think you just mentioned it's very much like a movie. I totally agree. Sometimes I know occasionally I'll have trouble picturing what I'm reading on the pages, but this book, no problem at all. And maybe that's just because it's partially to Star Wars. So it's kind of a little bit, you know, having looked at a lot of concept art, maybe it's a bit easier for me in that sense. But I would hope it's as enjoyable and easy for most people as well as for myself. And Claudia Gray, I mean, not only is she an amazing writer in general, but her works with Star Wars are just fantastic. It seems like every book that she does, she just gets better and better and better. Like, I think the case, and maybe 
this is a conclusion that is being drawn too soon. But I think the case can be made that Into the Dark could be her best book to date. I think it is that good. I don't know how it will age compared to like Bloodline and Lost Stars, which I think are her two best at this point in time. But coming off of the book, I'm like, I think you could argue that this is her best Star Wars book today, and I couldn't disagree with that. Yeah, I agree. I think this is definitely one of her better work. What I've read so far, I need to say that too. It's definitely up there. Since this is your first appearance on a show, could you please tell our listeners about yourself and how you got into Star Wars? Yeah, absolutely. My first experience with Star Wars was when I was around three or four years old. At that time, that's when the special editions were back in the theaters. Unfortunately, I never experienced the special editions in the theaters. My older brother and sister, they were lucky too. However, as soon as they went on VHS, we bought the tapes. And I was just totally enamored. I fell in love, you know, just starstruck with this world, the action. And it was just, especially to me as a a youngster, I loved acting everything out too that I was seeing. So, you know, I would go in my closets and grab, you know, I like dressing up as Darth Vader and Luke in Return of the Jedi, acting out their duel. Me, I'm just like (laughs) fighting myself. And uh, luckily, a year later, that's when The Phantom Menace came out. I'm a bit younger. You know, I was born in 94. I'm 26, going to be 27 soon. I'm very grateful being born at that period in time where for Star Wars, I was on the cusp of getting both the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy at the same time. My first Star Wars movie-going theater experience, my mom took me to see The Phantom Menace, and it was just, it was amazing. To have new Star Wars, to see it on the big screen, it was really, really cool. And, you know, my feelings on that movie have gone back and forth a whole bunch, but, uh, you know, what? five years old. That was my favorite Star Wars movie. I loved every second of it. Had the uh, contact chip reader, you know, the action figures. Like, I, I could talk about it hours, days, weeks, months, years. I have, as you mentioned, uh, an awesome podcast with two wonderful, uh, amazing co-hosts. So I get to do that. But real quick, going back to the like original trilogy, prequel trilogy, you know, getting both of those at the same time. My older brother, he had his own little X-Wing toy, you know, that I would play with. And I thought X-Wings were really cool. And I enjoyed Luke Skywalker and the Red Squadron. For me, though, my toy was the Naboo Starfighter. And like, that's just one of my all-time favorite single pilot fighter ships in Star Wars. I just think it's so cool. It was so sleek. Every time I watch The Rise of Skywalker, which has only been a couple times, but when I look at all the ships, I still try to find any uh, Naboo starfighters if they're in there. Haven't come up with anything yet. 
so that's kind of when I was a kid. But I guess recently what got me more into Star Wars, you know, obviously the sequel trilogy is coming out. But uh, during the pandemic, really, I was in a huge Star Wars mood in quarantine, going through all of the movies again in chronological order, you know, with the Clone Wars and Rebels and I was able to play video games a bit more during quarantine, so I got Jedi Fallen Order, which is an excellent, I love that game. But uh, Star Wars during the pandemic helped me at a time when I was having trouble believing certain things or maybe with faith or whatever, Star Wars was there for me in a way that nothing else was at that point. And it's so corny, but it's so true that. The main storyline through this whole entertainment enterprise is hope. And that's what it gave me during that time. So yeah, it gave me some hope when I needed it. Now I just feel like I'm indebted to it for that. I can totally relate. It was like the same thing for me back in 2016. You did bring up your podcast speaking about the Katana cast. Could you tell us more about your podcast? how and why you decided to do a podcast and who your other co-hosts are for those who do not know? Absolutely. Yes. So I host and co-created the Katana cast. My lovely co-hosts are Ben and Maria, who's also a host on Sisters with Sabres. So Star Wars podcasting didn't register for me until I want to say a little bit over a year ago. I was finally able to find some full-time work and I commute or I used to commute to my job. I'm a teacher and uh, you know now we're all virtual here. And uh, you know, just to find some time t- to pass by during the drive, in addition to music, I got back into listening to podcasts. And one of the first podcast areas I went to was fandom and Star Wars. At that time, that's when we were gearing up not just for season one of The Mandalorian to come out, but also we were getting ready for The Rise of Skywalker. So I listened to a whole bunch of podcasts. But uh, my knowledge at that time of Star Wars podcasts was a bit kind of small. And I love these shows, and I still listen to them. They're great. But uh, I only had a few that I would listen to regularly. Shows like Blue Harvest or Steel Wars or The Sith List, The Bad Motivators, Rogue One, which is now the Pop Culture Hour. Those all awesome, excellent, fun shows, but they are all mostly hosted by men. And I don't identify as a man. I'm non-binary and transgender. I use they, them pronouns, and I didn't come across other points of view podcasts maybe until after The Rise of Skywalker had come out. So that's when I got into like Canobite Dispatch, which is another great show. And listening to other people talk Star Wars, you know, I mean, I know that I can talk Star Wars hours on end just as much as the next stand can you know as a teacher and not just as a teacher but i live with my parents and you know other responsibilities and stuff like i just didn't have 
I think then as I was adjusting to full-time work and commuting and everything, and, you know, I'm also, if you are a fan of the Katana cast, you know that all of us hosts are also in recovery and sobriety. So, you know, I have meetings to go to and, you know, other things of that nature. You know, I'd always thought like it would be really cool to host a podcast. And I know more voices are needed, but I just don't know if I have anything new to add. I don't know if my voice is necessarily needed. And so months go by. And then I think around June was when Sisters with Sabres came out. It's one of the best podcasts, hands down, ever, not just for Star Wars, but for culture. You know, listening to new perspectives was super important and super necessary. And then a few other months go by, and then we get into September. Someone on Twitter, one of my friends, comments or retweeted or something like, the show is doing like a queer roundtable. I think you would be interested. So I did some digging up, and that show, by the way, is Pink Milk. And they're a queer podcast, you know, hosted by two wonderful husbands. They hosted a queer roundtable, and they were opening up the roundtable for any LGBT folks. And I was like, you know what? I fall in that community. Why not? The worst that could happen is they say, no, we got too many, which even then would be great because then we would still be getting our voices out there. But, uh, they said, oh my God, yeah, we'd love to have you on. You know, that happened for like maybe five episodes-ish, I want to say. And uh, it was so great being with other queer people, talking about Star Wars, and bringing, again, bringing other perspectives into this universe, into this fandom. The voices are there, but they're just not heard often, which is a shame, really. After doing that first episode, it took me one episode, maybe two, I think. And I was like, you know what? Like, why not? And uh, that first episode, I put a call out. Anybody who is interested, reach out. And Ben, he did the call and we went back and forth. Not only were we both a part of the LGBT community, but I realized too that we were both in recovery. And I thought, you know what? Like, not only would it be cool to have like a LGBT podcast, but like, what if we all, you know, it was just cool sharing something in common outside of Star Wars with my other host. And listening to Sisters with Sabres, I knew that Maria was in recovery as well. So I reached out to her. And not only that, but I think it's important that, you know, we already have, we're queer, but again, just getting more diverse points of views and perspectives out there. It would be great to have a person of color with us and join us on this journey. We're all uplifting each other's voices. I think it would be cool to have a strong support system with other hosts. So I reached out to Maria and I don't know what I was expecting. I was kind of geeking out, even just like typing her the message, but, um, she said yes. And, uh, it's history, I guess. You know, now we're a few months in and it's just humbling being and surrounding myself with so many great people. I'm so grateful at the opportunity it's given me, especially during 2020. 
it was created like giving me a shining light kind of in a dimly lit period of I think most people's lives and uh, now I have strong friendships that will last with me a lifetime. It's brought Star Wars it's first off it's bigger than Star Wars but it's also brought Star Wars into a whole different realm of meaning if that makes sense. It totally does and for those of us who have been listening these past few months it has been so entertaining and wonderful hearing you three talk about Star Wars and other things outside of Star Wars. It's just a blast. And like I said, it's one of my favorites that I listen to, just like Sisters. It is one that as soon as it drops, I listen to. So, Thank you. Yeah. And like I said, you know, us, like me being on this show with you right now is a result of just like, I would have never thought creating a podcast would give me or provide me an opportunity to meet other wonderful people through Twitter. But now we're beyond that, right? Because now we're interacting with each other here right now and just being supportive of each other. And it's just really powerful, emotional, and necessary. Your show and and you yourself, you know, just Words can't do, you know, I'm trying to find as many words and adjectives as I can, but it's hard to find words to describe this experience. I agree. I've been doing this for three years and I totally relate to what you are saying. And yeah, it's definitely an exercise, not in just community, but self and interpersonal relationship. Like it has so many layers than just the content that we put out and hearing you talk about your experience and these past few months, you definitely get that vibe. And I definitely relate to a lot of what you have been saying for sure. Thank you. Since this is your first appearance on a show, we have a series of shotgun questions we usually like to ask our guests. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. I'm a little nervous. I saw in the notes it says shotgun questions, but there were no questions. So I'm kind of been wondering what you, some of the things you might ask me are. But go ahead. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do this. First question. What is your favorite Star Wars film? Favorite? It's a tie between, or maybe not a tie, but it would be between Rogue One and The Last Jedi. Who is your favorite Star Wars character? As of this moment, I'd probably have to go with Holdo, Admiral Holdo. What is your favorite Star Wars book? Hmm. I gotta say, uh... It kind of started my book journey. It's not so much a book, I really, but The Art of The Force Awakens. I mean, it is a book, but yeah. If you could meet anybody that has worked in or on Star Wars, living or dead, who would they be? Oh, that's a great question. At this moment, probably Christina Ariel. Finally, a last question. If you were to be transported to the Star Wars universe, what era would it be? What species would you be? What would your home planet be? And what would your profession be? Okay, era, maybe original trilogy. Species, I guess, um, I forget what her species is, but Zam Wessel's a changeling. I think that would be cool. Home planet, maybe, probably between... Naboo and Coruscant. And then occupation. Hmm. 
Well, I imagine I would be, or I would hope at least, if it were real, I'd be working somewhere in or for the Rebel Alliance. So maybe soldier or spy or maybe pilot. Flying would be cool. That will do it for introduction segment. Moving on to our main topic. In 2019, the Mandalorian took the world by storm. And for a whole year, the world was wondering what was going to happen next. In 2020, the world got some answers and even more questions. Get ready as we dive into The Mandalorian Season 2. Before we begin, let's rewind to how you were feeling about the show after Season 1 and leading into Season 2. Where were you at and what were your thoughts and reactions after the conclusion of Season 1 briefly? I was all in. I was pumped. I still get teary-eyed when IG-11 sacrifices himself and I still get that adrenaline rush after seeing a Moff Gideon come out of his TIE fighter alive with the dark saber in hand. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what to expect at all for season one. I thought it was really, really awesome. And I was stoked. I was, at that time, after initially seeing the finale, I was sort of wondering where they were going to go. Had absolutely no idea. I guess one concern I had, and it was just like a small concern, was just like hoping it wouldn't be like a... And some people, I think, talked about this during season one. But for season two, for me, it was more so just not wanting it to be sort of like a bounty of the week. I was interested in seeing where they would go from season one. Yeah, I guess that's it. For me... Anybody who has listened to episode 107 knows what my reaction was after season one. Not much of it changed going into season two. I wasn't bitten by the Mandalorian bug like most people were. I had a lot of complications with season one just because of who I am as a fan, what I look for in Star Wars, what I want from Star Wars, what I see Lucasfilm, Disney doing with the Star Wars franchise. And yeah, it was just... Like any other regular piece of media for me, I wasn't hyper, wasn't excited. So going into season two, I was hoping that would change for me. I was hoping that it would follow along with like Rebels and the Clone Wars, where you had a first season that maybe didn't land with a certain set of fans, and then season two comes, and then later season comes, and it goes like a different direction. I was hoping to see more of like a blending. I was hoping to see more of a conclusion of a mishmash of many different kinds of things from Star Wars. And yeah, it was just, I wish I could share in the excitement that a lot of other fans had about the Mandalorian, but it was just so bleh for me. So going into season two, I was really hoping to have that change a little bit. And we'll get into it when we talk about the episodes. But yeah, that is where my mindset was. Yeah, that's totally fair. Without further ado, we are not going to waste any more time diving into the show proper due to how much we are going to cover. So let's dive right into Chapter 9, The Marshal. What was your reaction after watching this episode? Oh, wow. (laughs) It was awesome. Any doubts I had, you know, when I say that, it's not like I had like a whole boatload of doubts to begin with. But I was just, you know, kind of concerned like how strong, I guess, the season would lead off because season one, 
you had that reveal at the very end, like Baby Yoda. So I remember at the time I was thinking, well, maybe since they did that, maybe the first episode of season two will have a similar kind of drop in terms of a reveal. And I remember at that time, my thoughts or speculation was that it would still involve Baby Yoda in some way. I thought at the end of episode one for season two, Baby Yoda would say his first word or like say Dada or something. But to have right out of the bat Cobb Vanth come in and end with Boba Fett looking over his armor on the speeder of Mando and the crate dragon which we know has existed, but now it's canon. Like, it felt like a movie, really. And it was awesome. I did enjoy, I loved how they got more Tuscans involved. We get to see more interaction of the language and interactions of all the different peoples together. I think one issue I had is... It seemed like they didn't do as much with that plot line, like the townspeople and the Tuscans interacting and overcoming that colonialism, you know, the like settler colonialist mentality that the townsfolk have towards the Tuscans. I thought that didn't get a proper resolution. It seemed by the end of the episode that sort of gets put on the wayside. And now we're just entirely focused on Mando with that armor, which don't get me wrong, like the show is called The Mandalorian, but um, even when they're fighting the crate Dragon together, it still kind of seems like that's when they sort of started dropping the ball with that plotline. Like, I guess that was my biggest grievance with that. But uh, yeah, it was, I just remember thinking immediately after, wow, okay. When people come up to me or they message me online and they ask me what I want from the Mandalorian, I think of this episode because this episode gave me a lot of what I want the Mandalorian to be for me. For me, it was a blending of every air from Star Wars, where with the first season, it was very heavy original trilogy, not just heavy original trilogy, but a lot of the themes, a lot of the imagery. Like if you think back to episode one with the speeder racing across, that's like right out of A New Hope. Not that that's bad or anything, but for me, it was a little bit too much trying to hit the nostalgic bone of which I do not have. Don't get me wrong. I have a little bit of nostalgia for the original trilogy, but it wasn't that much of a sweet spot as the prequel trilogy is. So... When I was watching this episode, and don't get me wrong, there's obviously some original trilogy connections there, but they aren't as forced, they aren't as present, they aren't as, for me, down my throat. It was a lot more, okay, this clearly takes place in a post-original trilogy timeline, which it should, and it's independent of that, but it also shows that, hey, this is the same universe that went through the Clone Wars, hey, this is the same era that Anakin grew up in because you had the Podvacer. You had the pit droids, which we saw in season one, and you also had connection to a larger universe, both to the Legends Kotor game with the Crate Dragon Pearl, as well as the Cobb Vant from the Aftermath trilogy. So, yeah, I gotta agree with you on that. This was really like 
the perfect marriage of all aspects of the Star Wars world. Book, TV, film, EU, that small extent. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Another thing that I love about this episode is how it was paced. It felt very much like I got Lord of Rings vibes from it. Uh, when, you know, when they're going across the dune, as well as um, Aladdin themes with the music. It was very, it felt very epic. It felt like Star Wars, but a different flavor of Star Wars, which I want in Star Wars. On top of those two things, another thing that I really enjoyed is, now we'll get into it later, but this whole season pretty much got spoiled, except one thing when it comes to the pants. Like, we knew Carvant was coming, and we knew Boba Fett was coming. But a lot of the speculation and a lot of the fears that I had, I, I didn't share the speculation, but I did have the fear that, hey, Carvant is just going to come to serve a purpose of giving over the army to Boba Fett, and he's going to die. That's not the case. I really love the fact that you introduced Carvant, and he's not just a paper character. He has character depth. He brings life to the screen. Like, there's a reason why so many people are, are drawn to him and are a huge fan of him. I mean, this is the extended canon character that was, like, maybe, maybe in 20 pages worth of content over three books. So I really did enjoy that. And I really like the fact because when we were first introduced to him, there's some tension between him and Mandalorian. And it's like, oh, no, oh, no, don't, don't, don't kill him for the armor. And at the time, we did not know the creator was coming. So that was another big surprise. But I love the fact that he lives. Cobb doesn't die, and he doesn't die at the hand of Boba Fett, which I really enjoy because it would be so easy for Boba Fett to go into town and kill him, or the Mandalorian to kill him. That was not the case. That was not the point of the story, which I really like. And I think the credit has to go to... Now, I know John has some credit, but that point reminds me a lot of Dave because Dave, when he brings characters in and he tells a story, he isn't as reckless with those characters as other creators in Star Wars has been, if that makes any sense. I'm, t- I'm trying to be vague because I'm trying not to take shots at, you know what, but, you know. Yeah, no, I totally understand and get what you're saying. Absolutely, yeah. So that moves us directly into the Boba Fett reveal. What did you think of Boba Fett returning to live action officially? Um, mixed. Very up and very down. But when I saw it, I was like, I don't know. There, <laughs> it's that little kid in me. I don't, you know, prior to season two of The Mandalorian, I was very much like, he's cool, I guess. Kind of like a shrub, like, I don't know what he does, but he's a character and he's, yeah, I mean, he's painted his armor different than his dad. And I guess that's something. Before, um, and we'll get into it because of later episodes, but. Prior to this season and prior to this episode, my big, or maybe, you know, like even during this episode and after for a little bit, my favorite aspect of him, the coolest thing I thought he did was all in relation to the holiday special. As bad as the original Star Wars holiday special is, anytime someone mentions it at all, like I'll be the first, and this is a hell I'm still going to die on, like, you cannot tell me that that animated sequence, I think it's like around 10 minutes, is not cool at all or did not do any justice to Star Wars. I, I totally think that that animated sequence is absolutely awesome. Seeing Boba Fett in that, like when I think Boba Fett, at least again prior to this season, like that's what I think of. 
yeah, sure, okay, cool. Like he comes to collect Han's bounty and we see him again trying to flirt with the singers in the band and dancers in Return of the Jedi, but like Luke and the droids have no idea about this Boba guy. But Chewie in that animated I'm pretty sure it's Chewie. It's either Chewie or uh maybe it was R two D two. But one of them is like, Yeah, this Boba guy, I don't really know. But C-3PO and everyone else is like, oh, he's, you know, just such a wonderful person. And it's just like, no, this guy's scheming. He's playing you. But sorry, that's a huge side. So anyway, that's all to say that even though I'm not or I wasn't a huge Boba fan, when I saw him on screen at the end of the episode, that little kid in me was just like, oh, he's got a scar. He's cool. Like, just look at him being a bad at like. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. It was just like, okay, cool. All right. For me, I was so indifferent because I was never really a Boba Fett fan. And to be clear, a original trilogy uh, Boba Fett fan, I was too young for it to really land with me, correct? And I wasn't into that type of thing just because somebody cool, somebody's supposed to be a badass that doesn't really sell me as a character, as somebody who I'm going to be really drawn to. So, yeah, I was turned off. I mean, obviously, like I said, I enjoyed the Boba Fett from the prequel trilogy era. When he first came on, because it was spoiled, I was so indifferent to it because I already knew that he was going to come into the show. And I was a little bit concerned that he would take away the spotlight from the Mandalorian and Grogu, the child. So when he came in at the end and he didn't have his armor, that was pretty awesome because I was expecting it to be full Boba Fett in the sense that he would get his armor back and it would be the Boba Fett that people knew from the original trilogy. But that was just the beginning of Boba Fett in this season of Boba Fett outside of the armor. And that's the Boba Fett, we'll get into it later, that I'm drawn to. I'm drawn to Boba Fett the man, not Boba Fett the legend, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So moving on to episode two, The Passenger, what were your thoughts and reaction on Episode 10. So I love this episode. But let me say up front, you know, like obviously I thought that in regards to Grogu eating Frog Lady's spawn, I think they could have handled that. But like seeing it once, okay, you get it. Seeing it twice, all right, I think that's enough. But they just kept going and going and going. So I think they could have handled that differently, especially when they make a point to note like several times in the episode, like these are her children, read the room. So that being said, the atmosphere, the music, the weirdness, the quote unquote like horror-ishness to this episode. I really, really loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Like, this is more of what I would like to see. Just, like, give me more Alien meets Star Wars any day of the week, and I'll be there for it. Absolutely loved this episode. And Frog Lady really is, I think for this season, like a standout character. She represents, and, I, I like, I'm not, like, trolling or like i'm i'm totally sincere and unsarcastic when i say like like she's actually like a real bad ass she's lived a whole life no one knew that we still don't know but when the time comes to kick ass she's there 
she reprograms this droid to tell the Mandalorian, like, dude, you got to suit up. What are you doing just sitting on your ass? And then not only that, but at the end, she knows how to fire a gun. She knows how to protect herself, protect her own, save her life. Like, I just find it interesting. And we talked a little bit about this, too, or at least I think Ben and Maria did. But Frog Lady in this episode sort of, in a sense, takes on that, like, advisor role to Mando because she tells him, like, are you not a Mandalorian? Like, you made a promise, blah, blah, blah. She's sort of the other side of the coin of, like, a quill in terms of, I've heard stories about your people, like, your fighters. You're just going to, like, sleep here and do nothing while you gave me your word that you would take me and my own to safety. What are you going to do about it? And yeah, the whole eggs, I should say the spider eggs, the whole sequence there, you know, the small ones, the medium ones, the large ones, and then the huge mama spider. Ah, just so good. I really, really love this episode. This episode introduced the final piece of what I really enjoyed in Star Wars. If Chapter 9 introduced three things that I talked about that I really enjoyed, this episode introduced the fourth, and that is weird. In my opinion, Star Wars is at its best and most interesting when it's weird. Because if you think back, it's kind of hard to imagine, but back in 1975, when people were reading these scripts, Star Wars was so weird, and we forget how it is weird. That is why I love Dr. Aphra. If you read her first series, it gets very weird at some point. I mean, she has a bomb that is a Tuka cat. I mean, that right there doesn't tell you that Dr. Aphra is weird. I don't know what wouldn't. But yeah, this, this episode is so weird. I really enjoyed it. You mentioned the alien vibes, the creepy vibes. It scared some people. Like, I am not a huge fan of spiders. I don't have, I'm going to butcher this, I don't have arachophobia. But I can tell you that there's going to be some people who will never watch this episode again. And it was horrifying just thinking about it. And too often with these things, it's kind of hard to suspend the belief that the characters are under threat. But in this episode, you really get the picture that Mandalorian was in trouble if it wasn't for the two X-Wing pilots. Like, that big spider was something. And it, and it just throws me back to the... I don't, I don't know if you ever read this series, but it throws me back to the Galaxy of Fear book series. No, I'm not f- familiar with that series. So, the Galaxy of Fear book series was a junior novel book series that specialized in horror. It it was like a horror twist on Star Wars. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's just like Red Harvest and there's another one of adult books. So I think you have to be very careful when you introduce horror elements into Star Wars. But I thought this episode did such a great job of being like, okay, yeah, in the Star Wars universe, you have Ewoks and you have Porgs and you have all these cute things, but you also have threats in this universe that can kill you. Like, it's a universe. It's not just a fluffy, puffy, lovey, you're safe type of thing yeah yeah exactly moving on to episode three of season two the hairs what were your thoughts and reaction on this episode this is one of my favorites again if we're just talking solely about season two this is definitely top three i'll give a rating later once we've talked about all episodes but this episode's definitely 
easily top three. One of my favorites. Just everything about this episode is so good. Again, you mentioned this with the first episode of the season, especially, I think it needs to be said with this one, especially for the runtime it has, very, very well paced. And when I think about this episode and the pacing, like Bryce Dallas Howard, she kills it. She did a phenomenal job here. The cinematography was just so beautiful. The thing that I really love about The Mandalorian, and we're going to talk about Bo here in a second, but one of the things I really enjoy about The Mandalorian is it feels like a live-action animated series. Like the sin from season one, that climax is something straight out of Clone Wars slash Rebels. And Bo-Katan, her outfit, her design, and the action scene is something straight out of Clone Wars. Like you could squint your eyes a little bit, and I'm not kidding, and you could swear you're watching a Clone Wars episode. It is that well done, which is something that is so tricky. Yeah, absolutely. I think they nailed her look down, her armor too, you know, as soon as you see that armor or the helmet on the screen, you know who it is. You know, absolutely. Like, oh, no way. I uh, absolutely pumped the first time I watched this episode. I just like everything about this episode works and fits and builds off of the last few minutes. Everything involved with this episode, everything like gets resolved. And we get our first glimpse of Moff Gideon. I mean, this episode was like, like, I don't know if there's a bad thing about it, to be honest, other than the short runtime. What I really enjoy most about this episode is how Bryce does such a great job of her directing both her and Deborah. I think those two are the best in The Mandalorian that The Mandalorian has had for two reasons. Number one, they get very connective to the character and they aren't as insensitive when it comes to certain aspects like with the previous episode with the eggs it felt like it was a lot more character like Bryce was talking about behind the scenes with season one about how she was more focused on the emotion the character focus of Dan John and emoting with the mask and it being more connective like you saw that with the frog people like I don't think if this episode was directed by somebody else you would have had that deep connection with them like you hear people talking about how these two being reunited was such an emotional moment for two characters that unfortunately we do not see at this point in time again and to me that just plays to Bryce's strength and secondly you can have that and you can have action and you can have scenes that really get your blood pumping without it being violence porn, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, totally. So I definitely think that she should definitely have her own series or her own film. She definitely deserves it because she, she balanced it out. Because one of my problems with The Mandalorian is it has episodes where it feels, and I'm going to use Din and the child as an example, their relationship sometimes feel very disconnected, especially with season one. Like, obviously, they have to grow into the relationship that they're going to have, but the Din Djarin Grogu from The Sin was very different than Din and the child from episode six, if that makes any sense, from season one. I really appreciate Deborah and Dreyce because it takes the dynamic between Din and Grogu and it makes it more relatable. It makes it very human. It makes it be like, okay, there's a connection here and it's not just two people 
share in the same space without any connection. If, if, if I'm making any sense here. Oh, yeah, totally. Another thing I would like to shout out before we move on to Bolt is Sasha Banks making her appearance. How awesome was she? Oh, she kicked ass. I think I saw on maybe Friday, they're doing a Casca Reeves Black series. So I'm definitely going to buy that. Yeah, I would love to see more of Casca in Star Wars. Totally badass. All right, moving on to Bo-Katan proper. What was your thoughts and reaction on Bo making her live action debut? Oh, I was ecstatic. I love the Bo character so much. She's one of my favorite women Star Wars characters. Like, seeing her in live action on screen was just so amazing. I loved it. As always, she kicks ass in this episode. For me, again, this was another case of, because of spoilers, I knew that she was going to appear in the show, and I am Yang. My listeners already know that, so I always have closed caption on, and you hear her before you see her, so the closed caption automatically says it's full. So I already knew that, and on top of being spoiled, so I wasn't really taken back by it, but by some people, because I already knew it was coming. You know, even if the rumors were false, you know, you still had the expectations of it happening, so unfortunately, it never really surprised me. But as I said before, seeing her in live action, it just looked like strikingly, not just in her costume and the way that she moves, but the way that like she had like a wig on with her hair, I believe. And she she just looks really striking compared to another character, which we'll talk about here soon. So, yeah, it just I thought they did such a great job of her in live action. And and I'm really happy for Kate, I believe it's her name. Yeah, Katie Sackhoff. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really happy for her. Um, again, we'll get into it when we get to episode five. But yeah, it's it's just I'm really happy for her because a lot of people don't get to make that transition. Yeah, seeing her transition on was killed it. Absolutely killed it. Moving on to episode four of season two, the heist. What were your thoughts and reaction on this episode? Um. I thought that this was uh, an okay episode. As someone who is transgender and non-binary, it's hard watching. Uh, you know who? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna say her name, but it's hard watching the actress who plays Cara Dune. It's a lot harder, not just because of the statements that she made and continues to make but also because i had no idea about this actress's background and so i was in love with cara dune and so now it's just kind of harder to watch i know i have a friend who didn't even watch this episode because of the actress so you know it it affects us all differently i chose to watch it just so that i wouldn't miss out on anything of any importance just in case if there was which leads us to sort of the second half of the episode which is where we get the more important story bits which is the cloning and then they indirectly mention midichlorians with the m count we see the dark troopers 
And then, of course, also, in addition, we see Katie O'Brien, who's also part of the LGBT community. So it was awesome seeing her in the episode. And um, yeah, I mean, this episode's probably one of my least favorites. I feel like also it's just like a whole much ado about nothing, too. It's like they literally are stopping to get gas and then something small happens. But like I said, the Dark Troopers, the cloning, and the midichlorians, like, it was definitely, definitely cool hearing those, seeing those mentioned. Like, it's just nice to know, like, even stuff introduced in the prequel trilogy, in this transition between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, there's still this interconnectedness. For me, it is so hard to talk about this episode without tying it into the actress that should not be named, just because of there's so many issues there that influence my experience with this episode. We are going to talk about what I would like to share my opinion after the episode itself. I would like to talk about the episode itself before I dive into that, just because there's a lot to say there. But for me, this episode was the beginning that this is where the season two started to decline. Like the first three episodes I thought were amazing for three very different reasons. And this episode felt very bland. Even though it brought Minichlorians back to the pop culture screen. And you saw the dark troopers. And you saw the cloning. And you had a little bit of mystery there. Besides that, you had some humor. But it was okay. It wasn't great. You know, I feel happy for the actor who got to direct this episode, but this episode really didn't stand out much. And it's not so much for me to say about this episode, because a lot of what I have to say is tied into the emotion of the actress who plays, you know, who. So it was just, for me, this this was a very, I don't want to say disappointing, but this was where my issues and complications with season two really started to begin. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So moving directly on to her who should not be named. For me, going into this episode, I because we got this Ahsoka name drop during episode three. So we were looking forward to that. And we knew who was going to direct this episode. So we had a good idea what this episode was going to be about going into it. And because of the background of the actress, I was really not looking forward to this episode. And it just... I think people sometimes dismiss actors and actress how they are in real life, influencing somebody's enjoyment of some sort of media. But for me, her actions outside of the show really dampened my enjoyment of the show and the season, and specifically this episode. And as you mentioned, we both know people, but specifically you know somebody as a friend who didn't watch this episode because of that fact. And it is something that should be not pressed underneath the rug. Absolutely. Yeah, so there's just not really much to say about her that hasn't been said in other places. But I think that this episode has that big scar on it. It's hard to talk about this episode without that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Moving on to The Jedi, episode 5 of season 2. What were your thoughts on this episode? I love this episode. I love the Ahsoka character. I thought everything about this episode I thoroughly enjoyed and loved. Again, it's an instance where, for some of those who don't know, there's an ongoing 
I think litigation or something to that effect with Rosario Dawson and her mom involving a trans person. For me personally, I should say I would prefer if they had someone else portraying Ahsoka. I feel like it's a lot of muddy waters regarding the incident between her mom and the trans person. So just because a fan casts someone doesn't mean it's necessarily always a good idea to do so. I feel like that also needs to be said. The episode, though, Ahsoka is a character who I really love. And Dave Filoni, Rebels, I love. The Clone Wars is really good. So I just love his character building that he does. This episode, like, again, just the music, the story, the characters involved, the world building this does, but then also the outside influences. You know, it's very, you know, you can't talk about this episode without talking about the samurai and Japanese cinema influence in this episode with the costumes and the fight at the end where you have a cowboy western themed fight on one side of the fence and then a samurai fight on the other side of the fence like it's so meta that dichotomy because samurai films and westerns influenced each other so much where you have the man with no name trilogy the first movie was influenced and pretty much stole from yojimbo which may be a kurosawa film i don't think it is i forget but yeah the music and again having this character come to us live action someone who's been in books and animation seeing her realized was really really amazing especially from the very beginning you know seeing who directed this episode and who wrote it like you know okay this is the episode with ahsoka in it i was very much of the opinion that okay so maybe we'll see her for five minutes, 10 tops, and I'll probably be in the second half of the episode. So, you know, I tried to tame my expectations as best as possible. And of course, my expectations were kind of blown to bits. For me, this is another example of real life mixing with my enjoyment of fictional media due to what is going on with Rosario and what may or may not have happened. It was really disappointing for me in the sense that I love Ahsoka. Ahsoka was my favorite character. And in a moment of what should have been excitement, seeing my favorite character make the move from animation to live action to a larger audience should have been something that I was really excited for. However, when she was mentioned and it was confirmed, that she was coming because, again, you had those rumors of the casting and her making her an, an appearance in The Mandalorian, it was instead filled with dread. So going into this episode, that is where my mindset was. And then watching the episode, I will fully admit that maybe I was biased in it. I walked away from it really not liking the episode. I really did not like the portrayal of Ahsoka. I thought the episode at the time was very interesting wasn't for me it was very like okay there was some cool moments but it was just it had this huge shadow of it mm -hmm. but that has changed a little bit you know I, I rewatched it a second time 
and I plan on rewatching it again, whatever, and, you know, it is what it is, and I accept it and come to terms with it. But I will talk about Ahsoka next year in a couple of minutes. But yeah, this was another continuation of the decline for my enjoyment when it comes to at least my first experience of the second season. And yeah, it was just something about this episode that really didn't land with me. That doesn't mean it didn't have some cool moments in it or moments I really enjoyed. But it was like, it was really tough for me. This was an episode that was spoiled a couple days before it aired. And I seek those spoilers out because I wanted to know the details. Due to the shadow being over my head when it comes to Ahsoka, I was like, I, I really don't care. We already know that she's coming. I just want to know the story. And that is where we learned the child's name. Which, you know, I, I, I'm neither happy or sad about the name. It's an interesting name. I'm quite indifferent to it. Uh, but yeah, it is just, I'm coming around on it. But, you know, it still has some issues. You know, it's one of those things that I think will age better. But it was just, I'll talk about Ahsoka here in a second. But it was just so out of the box for me. But not in the not in a good way. Yeah. So moving into Ahsoka's live action debut, this was a huge moment. Whether you were excited for it or you were in the same position that I was, what was that like seeing her come on screen right away? Like you didn't have to wait till the middle of the episode or the end of the episode. It's like right away. Yeah, I really couldn't believe it. I was blown away, and of course, you know her lightsaber seeing her fight at the very beginning it was just uh it's another piece of the ahsoka puzzle i'm a huge i don't think i'm a die hard ahsoka fan but she's one of my favorite characters and i really like her a lot it's just another piece though of the ahsoka characterization puzzle you know where we've seen her grow throughout all the clone wars and then we meet an older wiser more sophisticated Ahsoka, who still very much has the heart of that younger Ahsoka. You know, the little, you know, it's not as snippy, but she's a little bit snippy. You know, she still has that fire and passion in her in Rebels. And this was very divisive among Ahsoka fans. But, uh, you know, now we get another layer of Ahsoka and her characterization. She doesn't mention whether or not she is a Jedi or isn't a Jedi. Quite frankly, I don't think she needed to. I feel like really the only person she quote-unquote knew in the episode was the woman she fights at the end. But uh, I felt like Dave did good job, but also like a necessary job, I feel like. I feel like he straddled well both sides of the fandom in terms of what to include about her, how she should be portrayed. I will say that I thought he could have done more, but that's just like the selfish fan in me. I felt like a lot, or I should say too much, was sacrificed at our expense. Fans who know Ahsoka, I felt like they sacrificed too much for us to try to satiate new fans' interests and intrigue in her. Yeah. For me, this is quite complex. Starting with her introduction, I thought when we first see her straight into the action, to me, that is what stuck out to me most in that episode of her being Ahsoka was the action piece. When it gets to her later in the episode, it felt like 
a different character than Ahsoka I know. I don't want to say I'm one of those hardcore Ahsoka fans, even though she's my favorite character, because I don't want to portray a sense of over self-importance. But I am very passionate when it comes to my opinion with Ahsoka in this episode. And I got the vibe that this wasn't the Ahsoka that I knew. It was very different. It felt like a very disconnected and generic character, separate than the Ahsoka that we knew. I get the reason why she had to be a little bit of that way for more of a casual audience. And she is at a different point in her life, even though we don't know exactly where this is officially, like officially, officially, in relation to her parents at the end of Rebels. But it was just very awkward and it was very hard to watch. It was just so weird. And to me, a lot of that has to do with the missing of the heart that Ashley Eckstein brings to the character. And... Ashley Eckstein is a wonderful person outside of Star Wars and you can see the passion that she has and the energy that she brings to the character to Ahsoka and to me you can tell that difference that could have been filled not so much by having Ashley play the character but maybe have her on the set being a consultant to the character and having her hands a little bit in the portrayal of Ahsoka without you know having to do a voiceover or character and I think you really felt there was a hole there. And that whole was actually Eckstein. I know there's been some debate about her playing Ahsoka. That's not what I'm saying. But she could still be there like with the Ahsoka book. You know, she was working with E.K. Johnson with that book. And obviously she didn't write that book. But to me, she played this character for so long. And it is so sad because we talked about this with Bo and Kate. About that character coming to live action after years. Like a decade almost since it was first brought into animation and to me I have to clap at Ashley I have to really give it to Ashley but to me that had to hurt that you weren't involved because Ashley put so much of herself in the character and it shows because Ashley and Ahsoka yeah Ahsoka is property of Lucasfilm and it's Dave's girl but to me she is Ahsoka's soul and it's, it's hard to disconnect the two I really hope that Ahsoka will come into her own when she has a show and whatever happens there. But yeah, it just, for me, you can tell there's a, a strong difference. Oh yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree too. Like to not have Ashley Eckstein a part, any part of the pro, at least that's, I think that's how it's been and, or at least how it appears to, to not have any role or part in that process is effed up yeah you know but like like i said you know i'm trying to come around to the episode and trying to appreciate you know how it is a throwback to classic asian films with the samurai and the conflict and what ashoka is trying to do not necessarily giving rogelio a pass in her performance you know hoping that in her own series we'll see a little bit more of the ashoka that we know just that it was just more of what Dave was trying to do with this episode, trying to make it like an echo of something that we've seen in a historical context that once she gets on her own, maybe she'll be more herself. But yeah, it's just very disconnected and it was very hard, I think, for fans who grew up with Ahsoka and know Ahsoka compared to the casual audience for which they were trying to target, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Moving on to the tragedy. What were your thoughts and reactions on this episode? So I remember 
once I clicked on the episode for the first time, like seeing the runtime, I was just like, what? I was just like really shocked, mildly upset. Okay, whatever, you know, like barely 30 minutes. Five of that is like the intro masks phase thing. And then, of course, end credits. So I was like, 22 to 25 minutes of new content today is unlike the first season. This second season, I woke up as soon as they dropped. And so for me, on the East Coast, it's 3 in the morning on Friday, 3 a.m. So I'm like, I woke up at 3 a.m. for 22 minutes of new content. This better be worth it. I was not disappointed. So, okay, we're now in the part of the season where this is pretty much the beginning of the end story arc. In fact, I think I had tweeted a day or two before this episode, a kind of analytical type thing, like something along the lines of, you look at season two finales for any major TV drama, the main theme is separation. Whether it's Mad Men or Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, and all the, all the rest, you know, all those other major big sh- TV shows. I had a sense that in the end of the season, Grogu and Din would be separated, whether physically or emotionally or something like that. I didn't expect it would be this quick in the season. I absolutely loved the world building, but not really. It was more, I felt like, the force communication, like on the rock, you know, when he's meditating, I felt that was very much pulled from Jedi Fallen Order. So I appreciated the tip of the hat in that sense. You know, it's really cool. And then you hear it first before you see it coming out of space, probably coming out of light speed. Seeing Slave One was just totally unexpected for me. But then seeing Boba be a badass with Fennec Shan being a badass, like it just was such an amazing episode. I don't think it could have been done by anyone other than Robert Rodriguez, who apparently was like their plan B. Apparently they had someone else originally, I don't know if it was like actually scheduled or not, but they had in mind someone else. So Robert Rodriguez is your plan B. Like, I'm totally here for like, He killed it. It is speculated that it was originally supposed to be Deborah Chow, which makes a lot of sense. After episode three of season one, The Sin, if you think about it, at least for me. Yeah, I think I do remember hearing something. I think I do remember reading that it was Deborah Chow. I think either one of them, and obviously we got Robert Rodriguez, but I think this episode only would have worked for either one of them with the action that it entailed. I think Robert Rodriguez really brought like a grittiness to this episode and to the the show here that we didn't see before, especially through Fennec and Boba. I hope with the spinoff series, Robert Rodriguez goes into direct an episode over there. One of my favorite scenes or shots, I should say, not just of this show, but for Star Wars in general is in this episode. And that's, again, it's another aspect of filmmaking 
like it's a type of shot that you normally see with like a scary movie or like a horror movie. It's when Boba is just tearing to shreds the stormtroopers. He's got his gaffy stick and the camera, it, it sort of like the frame rate slows down a bit, but it's not quite slow motion. The camera zooms in and like slows down on the gaffy stick, dragging in the dirt, leaving a trail behind. And then right before it moves up to cuts to Boba smashing the stormtrooper helmet. Again, like another kind of horror-esque type of deal in the Star Wars world. And I'm totally here for it. This is a Boba I can get behind, stand behind, fan behind. And then, of course, the very end. It's just speechless. For me, this episode has a lot of layers. I remember watching it when that title card, well, before I get to the title card, for me, I was surprised that we got to this point so quickly. It was actually kind of nice with the pacing when it comes to the season, because usually these things drop, and it's usually like an episode one or two later. Like, usually how we got to Ahsoka is like the way to go. It's like, reveal one, and then episode, and then we get there. And I was kind of expecting that with the climax. Like, what was happening in this episode, I expected towards like the penultimate episode, or even the finale. So that was kind of surprising. And then the title card popped up and you're like, oh no, like, you know, that that was going to happen. Like you knew there was going to be some separation, but the title card popped up. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about The Mandalorian is we don't know the title of the episode until it pops up. Usually, sometimes there are some leaks, but usually we do not know. So when the tragedy popped up, your heart sinks because you know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Boba Fett. Uh, I already said. What I said about Boba Fett, this was a very fine line when it comes to what I want, what I enjoy from Boba Fett. It had both things, things I enjoy and things I don't enjoy. I really enjoy seeing Boba Fett out of the armor. I really enjoy him kicking Stormtrooper, but with a gaffy stick. I did not like when he got his armor on and suddenly he was the Boba Fett that people wanted to see from the original trilogy. I'm not into that type of fan speculation, fan dreamy. That's just not the type of fan I am. Like I said, I'm more into the Boba Fett, the man, the human, the history, you know, instead of Boba Fett, the action heel that some fans dream about. So it was very mixed to me. The pacing of this episode was great. Like, you watch the episode and it doesn't feel like a short episode. It doesn't feel like it's dragging. It, it feels like it is a lot longer than what it is without it dragging in some points like some episodes do. So even though this episode is a little bit on the shorter side, I thought it was a great use of the time that he had. Yes, I agree. For as small a runtime this is, again, it's just like very, it's filled, if that makes sense. So moving on to The Believer, what were your thoughts and reaction on The Believer? I have a lot of different thoughts on this episode. I feel like the writing was really well done. You know, I'm a huge fan of anything Rick Famuyiwa does with Star Wars. I'm totally here for. Of course, like he directed a, a really good episode. When it comes to I guess, like, the content of this episode, it sort of really doesn't do anything for me until almost 
the very end, like the last third or quarter of the episode. And I think it's important to see the exploitation that the Empire Remnant, they're exploiting not just the planet's resources, but the people too. It's important to get that shown again. You know, we've seen it. Clone Wars, Rebels, and and it's important here as well. But nothing new with that. It almost felt like a buddy cop type of episode between Din and Migs Mayfell. You know, he's trying to understand Din's whole helmet thing, you know, in the truck. For me, I don't really start to get a whole lot out of it until Din decides he's the one that he's got to go up. And then, of course, like he's in front of the face scanner and then takes his helmet off. I love the whole sequence. This is sort of like, I feel like, a Mandalorian version of like the Han shot first scenario. Mig's talking to an old, older, higher ranking officer. And before the conversation is even close to being finished, it's like, I can't take this guy anymore. I, he killed my men. For Mig's Mayfeld, he was an Imperial officer. So it was more than just killing like innocent people on a planet. It was like, you risked the lives of my men, people I knew. Like, I could have been one of those people you killed. We lost a lot of good men. So for Mix, it was more of like the war general standpoint, soldier standpoint, which we've, to that degree, haven't seen or heard before in Star Wars, at least like on a major, like in live action. So I thought that was great sequence. And then, of course, he shoots him and he's like, oh, oh we got to get out of here now. Our cover's blown. So it was great scene. And then, of course, Slave One saves the day again, and they figure out where Moff Gideon is. But uh, it's an all right episode. I don't think it's one of the better ones of the season. Yeah, when I think of this episode, I think of this episode very much as a respite episode, like a very calm before the storm type of episode. It was also a very character-based episode where you are looking at Din, and this is the first time for, I want to say, at least three months. We, we don't know exactly how many months he's had Grogu, but this is the first time he's been without him. And what is he going to do now that he no longer has the child? Does the child mean something to him that he is willing to change who he is for that child? Or is that a relief that is gone that he no longer has to worry about? Like, you see that in a turmoil with him. And what is he going to do? What he must to rescue the child. And this is the first time, and he gets called out for it, where he bends the rules. And at the end of the episode, or middle of the episode, we see that he actually breaks his creed to do what he must for the child. And that leads, obviously, into the finale. But to me... Like the character moments of this episode, that's the point. And another thing I really love about this episode is the Slave 1 when it drops the sonic bomb. That is just something for me that just, like everybody, whether they love or hate Attack the Clones, that is something that I think everybody loves. That moment and that sound effect, it was just, oh, it just felt so good. Oh, yeah. So freaking awesome. Oh, my gosh. I got everything I, I needed in that moment. 
from then on, I was like, okay, Mandalorian can do whatever now. I mean, that's the real reason why they brought back Boba Fett is just so that bomb can be dropped again, right? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely, totally. Speeding along here to the finale, the rescue. What did you think about the rescue? This is another episode, a lot of, for different reasons, a lot of different feelings. I guess I'll try to be as uh, to the point as possible. I think someone actually, when we were recapping this episode, someone mentioned like the whole women being together, fighting badass together. When that happens, like it's natural as opposed to what happens in Avengers Endgame, where it's like a uh, arm bumping into your side, like, oh, look, here it totally felt natural. Like, we could use more of that. We could get more of that. And not just because it's women, but because it's like, you know, they're just doing their thing, fighting and being awesome. So that was really cool. I was actively wishing that a certain character would die so we wouldn't have to see them again. And I was very much disappointed when they made it out alive. So that was a bummer. But yeah, Bo-Katan being again and Casca Reeves being awesome and that interaction they have in the bar at the beginning of the episode, totally perfect. Like that to me was like right out of Clone Wars. I was here for it. It was awesome insults being flung at each other left and right it was just ah perfect luke coming back a lot of different feelings i didn't want it to be luke i didn't want luke coming back it's hard for me as much as i dislike that it was luke and as much as i didn't want it to be him and didn't want him coming back the way that he came back the way they introduce him and bring him onto the screen the way they executed his character and him at the end of the episode was, I thought, very, very well done. Of course, you know, you have the parallels of his entrance at the end with that of his father in Rogue One trying to steal the plans of the Death Star back. So, of course, he had his badass moment, but I just, uh, I don't think he needed to be there. I don't think it needed to be him. The mini fight, like the one-on-ones with the Dark Troopers and then with Din and Moff Gideon, like it just, to me, this episode was maybe a little bit unfair, but you know, it's still important to be hard on a show's second season because you can't count on the things of the first season to make the second one good or succeed. And so with this season and this episode, I felt like we finally had gotten our first 10 out of 10 episode here. And that's not to say that, I, you know, I mean, just in this interview, you hear me how much I enjoy and love most of the prior episodes. You know, that's not to say I don't think they're good at all or terrible. I just like this when I saw it and when I was in the moment feeling it during and after, this is the one episode of the season where I felt comfortable and still feel comfortable saying, like, this is a truly 10 out of 10 episode. As much as I didn't like certain parts of it, it was awesome. When I think about this episode, I think of it again as another very mixed episode. 
the beginning, right away, I was hooked. I was drawn to the episode. I was loving it immediately, straight when we dive into putting the team together, if you will. And the Boba Fett and Shasta's character, the back and forth that they had. Boba Fett being called out for not being a Mandalorian and him basically said, I never said I was. Which to me, this is thing the Phantom of the keep going back to back was just something that really was affirming for me. Sasha doing the spinning DDT. There was just so much about this episode that I really did enjoy. And you mentioned the team up with the female characters. That is something that when it does well that you don't notice. That was like, oh yeah, it did. And it didn't feel like, like I love the moment in Endgame, but it, you can tell that you can tell. And when those moments happen, you're not supposed to tell because it's kind of like them telling you, hey, you're supposed to notice this. You see this? Like you said, the little nudge, you know, like the wink, wink, winking to the camera instead of just, just normally happen, which again, you can still enjoy, but it's not something that kind of like with the moment, and again, in Endgame, with the gay character being by the director, you know, it's just the winking of the camera instead of it being a more natural aspect. So, but yeah, it's just like the action, Din fighting the dark trooper and him barely winning. And then his fight against Gideon, which I thought was over a little bit too quickly. But just to build up to the conclusion, yeah, I really did enjoy this episode. And then we got to the conclusion, which we'll get to here in a second. And complicated feelings happened. So, yeah, I don't think it was a 10 out of 10 episode. But it seems like these last three episodes was a little bit more mixed than the other episodes. Where with the first three, I really loved them. The other two after that, it was like it was kind of disappointment. And the last three was a little bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, I think to your point, like the beginning of this season was very much like new, newer territory for the show. And the second part of the season was familiar territory. I will, yeah, give you that. Moving on to the big reveal, the biggest talking point of season two. Luke Skywalker, you touched upon a little bit of your reaction and your thoughts when he made his appearance, but could you go further into it and, like, what are your expansive thoughts on his appearance and him being the quote-unquote big reveal at the end? Yeah, so when it came to the episode, Dave's episode, The Jedi, and it was mentioned, like, you put Grogu on a stone, he's got to reach out into the Force and call on a Jedi. I went back and forth on who I thought it should be, but one thing was constant for me, and that was it not wanting to be Luke Skywalker. To me, this is a show, yes, it exists in the Star Wars world, it exists uh, in the timeline after Return of the Jedi, but I don't think that saga characters, like main saga characters, should have to or should appear or should have to be included in in this story. And that's still my opinion. I think that it could have I forget where I where I heard this, but someone I won't take all the credit for it, but someone mentioned like does it have to be a force user who's like alive you know there's the living force the cosmic force like what if he reaches out to a force ghost and so the thing is and i'm trying to like get the right words 
the thing with this figuring out who was to be the Jedi that shows up at the end of this episode, it's got to be like immediately you already know because there's so many new fans, then you have the casual fans, and then you have like those who are a little bit more than casual fans, like who go to see every all the movies and so, and who know like the shows and stuff exist. Maybe they haven't seen any of the shows or maybe they've seen a couple episodes and then you have the diehards. And so the Jedi, whoever it is that shows up has got to be known to all of those types of fans. It's got to be a universal Jedi that everyone, even if you've never seen anything Star Wars before is still familiar with. So if I'm thinking maybe it's not a living Jedi and maybe it's a Jedi who's passed on, who are the most popular deceased Jedi? You have Yoda and you have Obi-Wan. And I know I said, you know, main saga characters shouldn't have come in, but in this way, they're deceased. It's more of a communication between Grogu and the cosmic force. And it's more of like a telling Grogu or communicating with Grogu, like, this is where you got to go. Like, it's just another step along the path of his journey in this show. So I thought, well, if you have baby Yoda, why not have regular Yoda? I mean, he was able to commune through the Force in uh, Rebels. So I thought it would have been cool for it to be him. I toyed and thought about the idea of Ezra or Cal Kestis. Ezra, like the only people who know Ezra are the diehards. And then Cal, it would ruin or could ruin any possible story you have left of his to tell, either through Fallen Order 2, or maybe there's something you want to do with him in the future. So that was my thinking. For me, I did not want it to be Luke. I was dreading it. I was of the opinion that I wanted to get away from the Skywalker saga. I wanted to get away from the Skywalkers. And I was dreading it. I know it makes a lot of sense. And reading what people have said about how it put it into context when it comes to who he is, where he is at with the sequel trilogy. Like, this is Luke Skywalker with his hubris. It makes a lot of sense. Like, this is a Luke Skywalker that we should be raising our eyebrows at, not cheering. Like, he's taking a child for all intention purposes from his father. He's repeating the same mistakes that happened to his father, to Anakin. And to me, a lot of people were like, oh, hey, it's badass Luke. This is the Luke that we want. And it's like, no, we already know from the sequel trilogy that he's going to go down the path that the prequel trilogy Jedi went down. This is something we should not be cheering for. I think that it's a wonderful context that is added to Luke that we get after the prequel trilogy that we get to see. Again, this is Star Wars, where it's like a, it weaves in and out, back and forth with the story content, where it gets that added context that we didn't have with the original EU Luke with those books after the original trilogy because we didn't have the context of the prequel trilogy. So it makes a lot of sense. And it also shows, it's also very depressing that this is a hero that we connected to with the original trilogy that is making the same mistakes that the previous generation makes. And in that context, it makes a lot of sense. But right away, when it first happened, you know, you see the ship, you know, you see the lightsaber, and the whole time, every time something was showing, I was hoping 
I hope it was a misdirect. And to me, it really took me out of the episode. And then the reveal happened, and then you had the crappy CG, and it was just, it was just really hard for me. Yeah, I agree. I dreaded it as well. Another thing that really stuck out to me about this finale is when it comes to emotional moments, I am a crier when it comes to powerful emotional moments. And when Din took off his helmet, that was the first time that I hyperventilated. Not because I was so invested in the child, but because of the emotional impact of him taking off his helmet. Like, that to me really struck with me and I found myself reacting in a way that I did not expect because I wasn't that invested in their relationship. Yeah, it was a moment I definitely was brought to tears, you know, bawling and very emotionally powerful. Yeah, like I said, it was just something that really shocked me because I am a crier. And when I started hyperventilating, it was something that, hey, I didn't even know I was disinvested in. But yeah, that is another point to the episode. And it was, like I said, an up and down episode. But, you know, that to me was season two summed up pretty well. Yeah, totally. Looking back at the season as a whole, how do you feel about it after it concluded? Definitely a big step forward. You know, they had a lot of characters on who, you know, you mentioned got spoiled for us actors and characters who we knew were going to be coming on in this season. Hopefully, if they do anything similar next season, I feel like, what, we're in February? So I feel like next month, this time last year, was when they started leaking that stuff. Hopefully, we don't get leaked either as much or it's kind of held off a little bit longer. Yeah, I thought as a whole, it was a nice big step forward. Maybe it was a little bit too big in a couple instances, but a nice successor to the first season. As I said before, when I look back at season two, it is a very mixed season. It is not as consistent as the first season to me. It had higher highs, but it also had lower lows. I did walk away after season two enjoying it and liking it more than season one. Again, I am not as crazy as others when it comes to The Mandalorian. I am opening to seeing where it goes. But for me, I look back at season two as a very, very much more of a mixed bag. And I'm looking forward to revisiting it and when it put into context. But it also felt very much as a season of plots. Like it was this season that was trying to introduce elements that were going to be spinned off into their own show. And we know that there are shows that are quote-unquote spinoffs that are going to happen. So Mm -hmm. you have three, four of them that are going to happen. So it is what it is. Looking back at what your favorite episode of season two is, what is your favorite episode of season two? It's probably between The Passenger and The Heiress. For me, my favorite episode is The Marshall for the reasons why I said. To me, it was the perfect episode when it comes to everything I want in The Mandalorian. And it really sold me on season two. So I hope we get more episodes like that. I hope we see Cobb Rant again. But yeah, that is my favorite episode. 
All right, so we are going to wrap up our conversation on The Mandalorian Season 2 proper. We have a couple of listener questions that will probably touch upon it. But if you have any last thoughts you would like to share about The Mandalorian Season 2, please go ahead and share those. I can't really think of that I haven't already said. Just, I enjoyed it. And hopefully Season 3 builds off of Season 2. But not too much. For me, I hope that Season 3 learns from Season 2 and do not repeat a lot of the mistakes. Like I said, Season 2 felt very much like it had episodes that were trying to introduce all these aspects that were going to spin off on their own. Hopefully Season 3 can bring everything back down to Earth instead of trying to focus on all these different aspects and isn't as much of a cameo show as Season 2 is. But like I said, I enjoy it more than Season 1, but it also has lower lows. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Without further ado, it is now time for listener questions. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Our first listener question from our Discord is from Holland, and he asks, do you want the Mandalorian to pursue connections to the sequel trilogy? Um, not really. I liked how in the one episode we see, like, what maybe looks like clones. So if it's anything like that, where it's more like a visual reference and not really overt, I would be fine with. I feel like this show, we're dealing with Empire Remnants. So I have a feeling like that's where we'll get kind of like a little bit of the First Order background. And that's kind of like where I'd like to keep it limited to. Again, not maybe being so overt, but however this show ends, we see some, you know, maybe there's still some Empire Remnants left or we see a shuttle, however big or small, like float off somewhere like a teeny tiny crumb. My answer would be, it would have to be very abstract for me to really be sold on it. Yeah, I guess I would like to see connections, but I don't want to see direct connections. Like, I don't want to really see Snoke. I don't want to see Kylo. I would like to see more behind-the-scenes elements, like maybe Ray Sloan making a pin, or you get mentions that something's going on, but I don't want it to be very direct. I don't think you have to be the direct especially this fall, you're 25 years away from the sequel trilogy, I think you're fine being less on the head with connections. And yeah, for me, I, I understand that it's more directed towards a casual audience, but I also think that you should trust your audience and not be so forefront with the connection. So it really depends. Yes, as long as they are more abstract in nature. Moving on to Holland's second question, he asks, there are theories of Palpatine clones and Snoke connection. Would you like to see them pan out? No, not on this show. Yeah, I definitely agree. On the same token, I would also like to see some exploration. I would like to see it explored because trash Palpatine just happens and it leaves a bad taste in your mouth and I want to see that explored more. I don't know if this is the place to do it. I would like to see more exploration. I guess no. No for me. Our next question comes from Wunder25, and he asks, Do you think Season 2 of The Mandalorian adds more context to the sequel trilogy? Uh, a little bit. Again, I think it's that Episode 4 provides a little bit of context, sure. Because, you know, 
the midichlorians and then seeing what looks like or may or may not be clones floating. Yeah. For me, I guess it does from a certain point of view. I think it doesn't directly. I think indirectly it does. But you can, depending on your perspective and how you view the canon, I guess it could. But for me, it's a no. I don't think it directly ties into. I think it's more abstract in nature and more like this could fit, but maybe it doesn't. I think no. Our final question comes from Super Suit. They ask, would it be good to see the Mandalorian follow some of the less obvious thread in the extended canon? Um, I'd be hesitant, but I guess maybe only if it would make sense or if it adds more to the characters' backgrounds who we've encountered so far. Again, hesitant because I wouldn't want it just to kind of be like shoehorned. And I would like the Mandalorian, you know, as much as we've already had a bajillion points of connections made between other Star Wars properties or shows or movies, I would as much as possible like to stick within this kind of corner of the galaxy with these characters, if that makes sense. For me, I would love to see more connections to the extended canon more than I would like to see more connections to mainstream Star Wars. I think it would be nice, again, to have like Ray Salone, you know, those types of characters, those connections, maybe mention some of the events in Last Shot. Like, you don't need to have like Han Solo, Leia, Lando, but you could indirectly mention like the events that happened in the galaxy. So, yes, I would like to see connections to the extended canon. Definitely more than I would like to see connection with the Skywalker saga, like Luke Skywalker, for example. Yeah, when you say it exactly like that, that I would totally be behind. Like any books or other maybe comic book characters or or whatever, that I would totally be more behind than, like you said, any part of like the Skywalker saga, for sure. That would do it for listener questions. If you, listener, would like to have your questions featured on the show, please consider joining our Discord channel and look for the post asking for questions when we record next. Links to join will be down in the show notes down below. That concludes our main show. But before we get out of here, we would like to take this time to thank our patrons. Thank you, Austin, Bill, Gladwin, Jason, Josh, Lanza, Mike, Nathan, Peter, Rachel, Sean, Sean, Taylor, Tim, Will, and Warner. We could not do what we do without your support. Coming up next on Ivy Bell, we'll be talking about the most critically acclaimed Star Wars game exclusively on the Nintendo GameCube, Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader. Thank you, Ian, for coming on and talking with me about Mando Season 2. I had a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Oh, me too. Thank you for inviting me and allowing this time to spend with you and fellow listeners and Star Wars fans. Yeah, we will be looking forward to having you on the Katana cast. If people would like to reach out to contact you, where can they find you? You can follow me individually on Twitter at igallagher321. If you want to hear more about me or hear some other Star Wars camaraderie, you know, you heard us mention the Katana Cast. You can follow us on Twitter at the Katana Cast. 
And you can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl. That concludes this episode of Ari Bell. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, I have been Jedi Geek Girl. Jedi Geek Girl, out. This has been Ari Bell, a Star Wars podcast. I have been your host, Jedi Geek Girl. If you would like to contact me, please send me an email at irebelldesney at gmail.com. And as always, may the force be with you. Bell is an independent podcast, not associated with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any other organization. All copyrights for Star Wars and all other properties belong to the proper copyright holders.